Hello everyone. Well, we're close today, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us. In case it's your first time with us, A Reason for Hope is a, an hour-long live broadcast uh, where we receive your, your questions on the Bible through multiple online platforms where we're streaming live. And we delve into the Word together to find the answers to them. So maybe there's a verse or passage of Scripture that's confused you, you'd like explained a bit more. Maybe you want to know how it applies to your life. Maybe you're going through something in your life you'd really like to make a decision that would honor God, but you don't know what uh, he says about it. Maybe even Christianity as a whole, you might be more of a seeker perhaps, or how it uh, relates to other religions and worldviews, things like that, and certainly things going on in the times in the Middle East and Israel, how that relates to biblical prophecy. Any question along those lines, any question that we can answer for you from the Bible itself, that's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope, so we appreciate those honest and sincere questions as you join us today. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be with you on all those platforms. Your host today, receiving your questions as they come on in today. It's just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Me and Pastor Scott. <laughs> Easy, Bill Withers. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't help it. Yeah. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Good. It's good to see you. Yeah. Good to be seen. Yeah. yeah. Lots to talk about today. That's so, right. Yeah. Your, your, your son shushed us yesterday because it was his birthday. For some reason, he doesn't like to make a big deal of it, but he's not here to defend himself. But it was his birthday yesterday, so he's taking a break today, taking yes. a birthday day. Yes, yeah. yes. Rumor has it he went out and bought a brand new pair of tricked out running shoes. Whoa, take it so, easy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was how he spent his day This wild spending. Yeah. Well, good. Well, good. Yeah. well, thank you for being with us. We're looking forward to uh, your, your questions and um, see how the, the show goes along. We're never sure where it's going to go, what direction it's going to go in. But as I mentioned, the reason for hope, we're live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. Of course, you can join us all around the world through the wonders of the internet. Uh, but it's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you are looking for somewhere to worship and get in the Word, you're welcome to come along and join us here. We're near Princeton I-10 on the west side of the freeway. You'll see our illuminated Calvary sign right there in that business park. Um, CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. You can check us out. I can hear myself talking yeah. on your laptop. <laughs> Sorry about that. I <laughs> sounded great. My, my, my son Sean isn't around to say, to say how's your laptop <laughs> was, turned off? I was literally going to say right <laughs> before, do you have everything muted? online, Sean. We miss you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it too as a joke. I was like, no, I better not. I guess I should have. Yes, come back, Sean. All is forgiven. But uh, as I was mentioning, yeah, calvarychristianfellowship.com is our website for our church. You can check us out there. And uh, while I think of it, we, of course, Christmas is coming up a week from Sunday. Um, is uh, Christmas Eve. We have uh, services in the morning and a, a special Christmas e Eve service. Eve, Eve. <laughs> evening Eve. Evening Eve. Uh, yes, Christmas Eve evening. <laughs> that too. Um, 9 and 11 a.m. will be our morning services, uh, and that will become our new service times here at Calvary Christian Fellowship Christmas Eve. We will switch from three services back to 9 and 11 that we, uh, we used to do before COVID, before the pandemic. 9 and 11 a.m. and that will become our new times moving forwards uh, but uh, Sunday Christmas Eve we will have also a, a evening service at 6 p.m. which will be a special service different from the morning services uh, lots of Christmas music and um, scripture in between and that kind of thing so one of my favorite services we do all year round so you're welcome to come and join us whether you're part of Calvary Christian Fellowship or not we welcome you come along check us out 6 p.m. Christmas Eve. Uh, but you can get more information at uh, calvarychristianfellowship.com and we're streaming live. If you click on that watch live tab, 
that will take you out to our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream to this page. So if you're someone that's not on social media, that's a great place to go. You can go directly there, ccftucson.online.church. You can type that right into your browser, ccftucson.online.church, or follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com. Uh, that's our live page. You'll see us live. You can sign in with the username, and there's a chat function that you can interact, and I'll be receiving your questions there. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event, um, so you won't have to miss anything coming up. We try to stream pretty much everything we do ever since the pandemic. We try to get it all online for those who can't join us in person. We're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. On Facebook, we're live. You can send your question in through the chat function there as well. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that if you're a Facebook user. Um, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. You'll be able to find our app that you can download to our mobile to your mobile device. Watch us anywhere you go. Um, you can access uh, archived uh, messages and all kinds of good stuff on the app as well. So check that out. Also on Roku and Apple TV, we have a channel. So go to your channel store, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson and add us as a channel. You can watch us on your on your big screen as well. Uh, we're on YouTube Live. A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel. A Reason for Hope on YouTube. Streaming live there. Once again, you can send your questions in through that, through the chat, through the comments. Uh, on that live tab, anytime we've been live, it archives there for you. So if you wanted to recap a show or like a question we did, we also post questions of the week and things like that as well. So Join us on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and all that good YouTube stuff as well. Uh, Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. If you'd like to follow along with him, Scott R4H. That's uh, Scott, letter R, number four, letter H, where he posts commentary on things going on in the world, news articles, and obviously right now there's a lot going on in the Middle East. that You can follow along with him, Scott Richards, on Twitter, Scott R4H. And then we're on the Rumble platform, not live, but uh, we post... Uh, archive video there as well a reason for hope bible q a if you use rumble and then questions for hope at gmail.com is our email address questions for hope spelled out with uh, letters at gmail.com shoot us an email there with your question you can do that as well uh, whatever platform you join us on we're glad that you found us uh, please do send your questions in we'll pass it out the time for them welcome if you're listening on the radio as well drive safely out there traffic is getting really bad there was a huge uh, tour bus or something broken down on the freeway today causing mayhem uh, but drive safely out there and keep in mind on the radio you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded we're not live with you on the radio but there's other platforms that i mentioned we are live as can be so anything can happen and uh, we welcome you to guide our content by your questions so that's that, I think. I think I covered all the bases. I think you did. I think I did. Would you like to pray for us? Yeah, let's absolutely do that. Father, thank you that we have this opportunity to be able to gather here. And Lord, it's just so beautiful uh, that uh, your word uh, can provide us such guidance, such direction, such clarity in these confusing, dark, and distressing times we're in. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you not only give us a heavenly heads up on future events, you also, Lord, speak deeply to our hearts. And the, the events that are, are going on that sometimes uh, can be left unattended because we're so distracted in these media-saturated times we're in. So, Lord, we pray as your word goes forth on this broadcast, we wouldn't just be another voice in the din and cry and uproar, uh, that uh, surrounds us every day, but that your word, uh, spoken in truth, spoken in love, 
spoken through the power of your Holy Spirit on this broadcast today, would touch and change lives. That's what we're praying for, Lord, that those who don't know you would be drawn to you, that they would hear your voice and respond to your invitation to come to them and to receive your gift of salvation paid for at such a price when Jesus died for our sins and rose from the grave. Lord, I pray that that would happen. I pray for those who know you, that they are roots we go down deeper in the soil of your marvelous love. And Lord, I pray that if there are any struggling, any hurting out there, they would find comfort, encouragement, uh, even exhortation to be able to deal with the issues of the heart and so find the peace that you uh, so earnestly desire to lavish upon us as your people, even in these uh, tremendously uh, turmoil-ridden times we live in today. Thank you for your mercies and your grace. We commit this broadcast to you. We pray you'd be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, we really do hope this hour will be edifying and uh, encouraging and comforting. And and again, it's, it's really guided by your questions. So whatever it is on your heart that's relating to the Bible, something we can answer from the Word, then please do join us on those platforms. And we hope God's going to really use this hour as you pray. So, um, well, is there anything to update us on as far as Israel? And the the boy, Middle East you know, and... very sad update, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, they call it the fog of war. We're really not sure of all the details. But one of the saddest prophecy updates that we put up uh, on our uh, Scott R4H at, on the Twitter platform, you can follow along there. We try to keep you up to date as much as we can on that platform. Uh, revolved around the fact that uh, in an operation uh, in Gaza today, uh, three individuals were misidentified by IDF soldiers as uh, potential terrorists moving towards the IDF in order to attack them or detonate suicide vests. Turns out that these three individuals uh, were uh, hostages. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't know if they were hostages that had escaped their captors and were running towards the IDF lines. Uh, our uh, friend Amir Sarfati on his uh, Telegram platform, and boy, talk about someone who will keep you right up to date on everything going on in that region. Highly recommend uh, downloading the Telegram platform. If for no other reason, just looking up Amir Sarfati, A-M-I-R-T-S-A-R-F-A-T-I, and uh, following along with him. Uh, but he wrote, I suspect that Hamas terrorists forced our abductees to run towards the IDF, which caused them to be misidentified and killed. I wouldn't be surprised if they even documented the whole thing to later show online to the world. And while there's some uh, heft, I think, behind Amir's statement here in that uh, the uh, media arm of Hamas is uh, making uh, uh, noises about having a major uh, announcement to be made uh, in the next few hours, and I have a feeling mm. it has to do uh, with the death of these three hostages yeah. here. Uh, boy, please be praying uh, for the families of these hostages. They're now being notified by the Israeli government uh, of the deaths of uh, these three men who uh, lost their lives today. Uh, and uh, we just try to uh, provide uh, all of the news on this, the, uh, the victories and the defeats. Uh, speaking of interesting twists and turns in what's going on in uh, the conflict with Gaza, in Gaza between Hamas and Israel, with decidedly uh, biblical overtones, Hamas uh, launched a volley of rockets not only towards Jerusalem today, not Tel Aviv, but Jerusalem itself, which they claim to be their holy city, but uh, these rockets were intercepted by the Iron Dome defense system, uh, and the uh, analysis of their target 
was nothing else than the Temple Mount itself. Now, mm -hmm. let that sink in for a second. Uh, the name of the uh, barbaric, murderous event on October 7th given by Hamas was Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. Mm -hmm. uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque is uh, considered to be one of the holiest shrines in Islam. Uh, also, the Dome of the Rock is there. Uh, both of these shrines were put on top of the Temple Mount. Uh, standard Muslim operating policy when they take, take over a particular area, they will go to uh, any place of worship and immediately uh, dub it a mosque, uh, the, um, uh, the Church of uh, Holy Wisdom, uh, Hagia Sophia, in uh, uh, Ankara, Turkey, formerly uh, Constantinople, uh, is a prime example of that. Uh, this uh, one-time Byzantine uh, church has been converted into a mosque. Well, the same thing is true in the Temple Mount, with the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock being situated in such a way that uh, Israel could not rebuild its temple on its historic site. Well, these missiles uh, caused not only the Western Wall, also known as the Wailing Wall, uh, to uh, be evacuated from worshipers during this particular time, but uh, stop and think if the Iron Dome system had failed. Uh, these rockets would have landed smack dab in the middle of uh, the Temple Mount area, uh, some people wonder uh, how Israel will be able to rebuild its temple on its historic site if these Muslim shrines are in fact there. And by the way, the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, that gets so much uh, PR, uh, it really depends which uh, strain of Islam you're talking to. The Saudis, for instance, do not believe the Al-Aqsa Mosque is the legitimate shrine uh, that should be venerated by Muslims. They will point to passages in the Quran that indicate that the actual Al-Aqsa Mosque is about oh, uh, 20 kilometers north of the city of Mecca in Saudi Arabia, not mm. in Israel at all. Mm. Uh, but uh, the fact that Hamas is launching rockets with this as their intended target tells me a couple of things. It tells me that, first of all, they're not so much interested in uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is not uh, necessarily what their intention is in their, uh, their attacks. But rather, it is, a, uh, I think, a very strong revelation that the only reason that this uh, awful uh, war is going on is because Hamas wants to exterminate the Jews by any means necessary. You hear the slogan, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Well, what they mean is Judenfrei, as they used to say in Nazi Germany, free of Jews mm. by any means necessary. Uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the protests with the horrible uh, signs saying that uh, we definitely need to revisit the final solution, Heinrich Himmler's plan to exterminate the Jewish people entirely, uh, tells you exactly where these people are coming from. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating that we live in a time where uh, there is uh, this attempt to say, well, there's two sides to the story, right. you know. I mean, it would be like saying, well, you know, Dachau, I mean, there's, there's two sides to that story, you yeah. know. Uh, work will make you free. Maybe they were just trying to teach the Jews valuable job skills there. I mean, it would be that silly to try to equivocate in the way that people are doing so today. Mm. Uh, but I think it's fascinating that that particular attack did take place. Fortunately, the Iron Dome did take out uh, these rockets before they could hit the Western Wall or even the uh, Temple Mount area itself. But wouldn't it be fascinating 
if uh, one of these uh, murderous thugs with a missile battery at their disposal managed to get their missiles through and the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock were destroyed by Muslim missiles. Uh, we need to remember something. The Al-Aqsa Mosque has been destroyed by earthquakes and other natural disasters at least six times in its history. So if uh, the Lord wants that particular obstacle to the rebuilding of the temple to go down, it will go down. Yeah. Trust me. Uh, and uh, and so uh, fascinating development there. Another interesting uh, development as far as the expansion of the war is concerned on two fronts. Uh, number one, uh, the uh, uh, engagement between Israel in the north and the Hezbollah, which is a decidedly wholly owned subsidiary of Iran. They are Shiite uh, Muslims as uh, the Iranians are, the Saudis, and even Hamas are Sunni Muslims, which are different sects of Islam. They d absolutely despise each other, by the way, but they tend to only hate the Jews worse. So at this point, they're kind of allied together. But uh, Hezbollah, a wholly owned subsidiary, same religious bent uh, as the Mad Mullahs in Tehran, uh, I think is a far uh, more significant danger to Israel right now. And uh, there are a number of attacks that are going on uh, sort of tit-for-tat in that area, uh, they have over a quarter million sophisticated missiles. I mean, uh, highly uh, directable, guidable missiles. As we see with Hamas, they tend to land launch missiles in the air, and where they land, they know not where. It's just sort of a general direction. But these are incredibly sophisticated missiles. They are equipped uh, with uh, some very advanced uh, Russian uh, uh, anti-tank uh, weapons that they have there in that uh, particular uh, vicinity. Uh, they have very well-trained and uh, commanded by Iranian Republican Guard units, uh, troops at their disposal. And uh, there has been a negotiation saying that Israel is going to uh, take uh, radical steps, including taking out the electrical infrastructure of uh, Beirut, Lebanon, unless uh, ir uh, the uh, Hezbollah guerrillas retreat to the agreed-upon uh, ceasefire boundaries in UN Resolution 1711. Uh, they are not showing any uh, movement, any desire to move in that particular direction. So uh, things are definitely heating up in the north. And, uh, you know, Israel has made it very, very plain that uh, they are going to go after Hezbollah after the situation with Hamas has been rectified. So... Uh, please be praying for the peace of Jerusalem along that line. The other front that has opened up, believe it or not, is to the far south. It is uh, to the uh, southern tip, if you will, of the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, where the uh, country of Yemen exists. We've talked about the Houthi rebels, which uh, control about half of the uh, nation of Yemen down there. Uh, they have uh, gotten into the business of uh, piracy, hijacking and launching missiles at uh, commercial tanker traffic that goes through this place called the Bab al-Madab uh, Strait mm. there between uh, Yemen and the coast of Africa. A number of Israeli-owned and Israeli-associated ships have been fired at. Uh, the United States has uh, a destroyer in that region, the USS Kearney, but it does appear that uh, just having that one destroyer there is not enough. Israel is sending two Corsair-class ships 
to uh, engage in this battle down there with the Houthi rebels. And uh, according to a number of uh, sources, the United States has asked Australia to send uh, another destroyer group to this particular region to try to uh, provide safety for these ships. And there's some very striking photos of uh, these uh, tanker ships that have been struck uh, by surface-to-surface uh, missiles in this uh, region. So the idea of slowing down or uh, uh, eliminating any kind of traffic in that area is another provocation, whether this uh, sees this particular war expand into a full front own uh, confrontation with the Houthi rebels in Yemen, probably likely. Um, this is not going to be allowed to go on uh, for very long because, again, so much of the world's oil uh, does pass through that area and then up mm-hmm. through the Suez Canal. In fact, most of the Suez Canal traffic has to pass through these waters to get in that direction. That mm-hmm. definitely affects the economy of Europe, uh, energy mm-hmm. needs in that area, and as we all know, energy stirs the drink. So uh, these are the events going into the weekend. Uh, We have mentioned that Israel is about the business of flooding uh, the terror tunnels that are there in Gaza. That project has uh, begun. Uh, There's a couple of different thoughts about that. One of them is kind of the dramatic thought of just flushing out the terrorists, just completely flooding the tunnels entirely. Not sure that's exactly what is necessary. What is necessary is for enough salt water to get into these tunnels that the electronics that are in these tunnels, the power cables and so on, mm-hmm. uh, the various uh, fans and uh, sources of fresh air that keep this 300-mile-plus tunnel system yeah. up and operating. Uh, if these things malfunction, then the tunnels are, in essence, uh, worthless, yeah. useless. So uh, I think probably what you're dealing with is enough to deal with that electronic infrastructure, not a complete filling of these tunnels. But there are those who have said, well, you know, if they do that, Uh, Won't that endanger the remaining hostages there? Well, if they are doing that, I think there's probably a pretty good idea uh, among the Israeli government that uh, these hostages, uh, at least most of them, may still may not still be alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I hope I'm wrong about all of that. But uh, it it does seem uh, pretty dire as far as that's concerned. So please be praying for the safety of these hostages. Please be praying for uh, the peace of Jerusalem. Please be praying for the protection of the Jewish people. And as we always say, uh, we are also praying uh, that there would be a mass turning of uh, Muslims to faith in the true and living God. Uh, If you want to do a little homework over the weekend, read Psalm 82. It's a fascinating uh, psalm because it talks about a coalition of nations uh, surrounding Israel like a semicircle uh, that uh, will attack Israel with the idea of wiping them out so that the name Mm -hmm. of Israel would be remembered no more. Uh, God will wipe out Uh, this uh, attack supernaturally in such a way that those who attack will know that the Lord is God from Mm -hmm. that time onward. Uh, So, uh, you know, we see that God, uh, even for the enemies of Israel, wants to see them uh, repent. You know, again, God is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Mm -hmm. And that includes uh, even those that have been taken in and indoctrinated and brainwashed uh, by the uh, horrible doctrines of uh, Islam in that area. So please be praying that an amazing revival would take place there. As we say, by any means necessary. We've uh, heard of a number of reports 
of uh, Muslim clerics being one to the Lord by having a direct supernatural encounter with Jesus. Uh, so God is able to do that. God is able to get his word out mm -hmm. in a very powerful, powerful way. So right. be praying for those things yeah. over the weekend. Absolutely. And uh, take Thank a look you. at Psalm 82. Fascinating reading, especially in these days. Yeah, that's that's very fascinating. Um, Taylor commented, uh, why isn't the U.S. or anyone helping Israel? Didn't the U.K. officially label Hamas as a terrorist organization? But the U.S. have been support in support of Israel, and as you mentioned, sent support. Is that right? Yeah, um, there was, uh, again, Taylor, there is a, there's been a dust-up. Uh, Joe Biden made some untoward comments about uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, his government, uh, the prosecution of the war, and the absolute demand for a two-state solution in this area. He made these remarks supposedly in a closed-door fundraising event, but the words got out. Uh, our State Department immediately went into full backpedal mode and say, no, 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 they're all, uh, Netanyahu and Biden are very close friends and he didn't mean any disrespect. And, and uh, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of discussions about the end, you know, usual uh, diplomatic uh, hoo-ha that goes on when somebody mm -hmm. kind of steps in it. But uh, that created uh, just a real uproar in Israel. And uh, there is a growing conviction, and Amir Sarfati talks about it, of Israel becoming convinced uh, that uh, Israel's got to take care of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, Israel cannot count uh, when the chips are down, even on the United States or some mm -hmm. of its most close allies, Great Britain and others down through time. Uh, they're going to have to take care of business themselves. And I think that, uh, Talon, that uh, really jibes nicely uh, with uh, where we see the general flow of prophecy going regarding Israel. Because in passages like Zechariah chapter 12, uh, we see that at uh, a point in the future, uh, Israel is going to be a stone of stumbling and a cup of reeling to all the nations gathered against it, though all nations of the world be gathered against it. Uh, there is going to come a time when all the nations of the world are going to agree on one thing. Uh, we got to wipe out the Jews. Mm. So, uh, you know, that is not where we are now, right. but certainly we know in the future that is where Israel is going to be. Right. You know, that doesn't mean that we uh, cease to encourage our elected leaders to stand firm behind Israel, to use the voice that we have in this participatory form of government we have in the United States. Uh, we want to bless Israel because God is going to bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. We definitely hear about being on the right side of history. Yeah. I would rather be on the right side of his story mm -hmm. <laughs> when it's all said and done yeah. so um where are we at in terms of where we are with israel mm -hmm. well it depends which day of the week you read the news mm -hmm. um you know again we hear positive statements we hear negative statements and who knows uh, what is really going on behind closed doors but we know this and uh boy this is such a beautiful psalm also to look at in these times psalm 121 uh, it says i lift my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help my help comes from the lord the maker of heaven and earth mm -hmm. uh, the lord will not allow your foot to be moved he who keeps you will not slumber he who keeps israel will neither slumber nor sleep the lord is your shade at your right hand the lord is your keeper uh, so you know we know that god is invested in taking care of israel uh, God plus one equals a majority. Uh, the Jewish people would not have survived at all to this time had not there not been divine intervention. I right. think uh, we will probably see the same sooner or later in that uh, neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah.
Great. Well, thanks, Taylor, for for chiming in with that. Uh, had some questions coming in, and once again, send your questions in. Your questions on the Bible. We're glad to receive those. We've got plenty of time left on our show today. Uh, question from David. I believe it came in through our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. David asks, uh, can we use moments in the Bible where Jesus heals people according to their faith as support for a salvation by faith argument? What would people who point to works-based salvation argue here? So this is a big, I mean, maybe give some background. This is, there's a debate on the nature of our salvation, whether it's through works or whether it's purely through faith, and there's a you know, yeah, big debate. And, and, and you, know, the, the, you know, sometimes you will run into people who say, uh, you know, James says, uh, you say, uh, you know, you're saved by faith, uh, show me uh, your faith, uh, you know, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And, and so, uh, you know, in a sense, uh, you're really going to run into somebody who identifies as a Christian who's going to say, well, you're saved by your good works. Uh, but you will run into people, and this is where it gets a little fuzzy, I guess, uh, who will say, say, yes, you are saved by faith, but a genuine faith is a faith that works. Uh, it is inevitably going to change your life. It's inevitably going to want to lead you to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. Now, the tricky part comes in when we try to quantify that. Uh, you know, sometimes we will run into people who will say, uh, well, uh, you know, I know this person who claims to be a Christian and uh, they, you know, have a foul mouth and uh, they do this and that and the other, uh, but they say they're a born-again Christian, you know, I mean, obviously uh, their faith hasn't changed their life. Well, I think C.S. Lewis had uh, an interesting uh, thing to say about that. Uh, when he uh, said, uh, you know, when we look at a person and say, why should I become a Christian? The biggest cranks I know are Christians. Uh, you know, be careful because you don't know how much bigger a crank that person would be if they weren't a Christian. <laughs> uh, you know, we tend to, well, maybe have an idea of uh, what we think righteousness is all about. And if somebody doesn't achieve this level, well, then obviously they have a defective faith if they have a faith at all. Uh, you know, and uh, and so, uh, you know, it's very interesting in the whole subject of, uh, of uh, assurance of salvation. Mm. You know, some people will say, well, you know, again, uh, you know, I do this and this and this. I have this priority in my life. I give this much to the church. I've been involved with missions uh, uh, endeavors. I've even been involved where, with prayer where the miraculous have happened. Well, we have to be very, very careful uh, when we default to that as our proof of salvation because in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, uh, boy, Jesus, uh, one of the most stunning and bracing things I think he ever said in his earthly ministry in verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? cast out demons in your name, and then many wonders in your name. And then he will say, I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now notice Jesus says that it's more than just saying that Jesus is Lord or even presenting an impressive spiritual resume that uh, proves that one is truly a believer in Christ. What is it? It's the one who does the will of the Father. Now what is the will of of the Father. Well, over in John chapter 6, so we don't have to really leave this to the imagination, 
uh, Jesus, after uh, feeding the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes, uh, saw that the people were ready to try to make him king by force. So he went over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the people beat feet and went around the side of Galilee and tried to catch up with him. And uh, they said, when did you come here? And, and Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, you do not seek me because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we, we may work the works of God? Okay, here you go. Then he said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Period. That is what makes us right with God. You know, in the book of 1 John, we are told that uh, God's commands aren't burdensome uh, because uh, God has called us to uh, uh, believe in the name of Jesus and love one another as he has given us commandment. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23 so, you know, when a person gets into this uh, notion of faith versus works or a faith that works kind of salvation, do I believe that uh, receiving Jesus as your Savior is going to change you? Yeah, the Bible says and if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Uh, our relationship with God is uh, referred to as being born again. Uh, even water baptism is a visual picture of a spiritual transformation that happens to us where we identify with Jesus' death and then we are raised to newness of life. We're to put off the old man and put on the new man, which is being renewed in the image of the one who called us. Mm -hmm. so the Christian life, the Christian adventure uh, is essentially an internal one where we become more and more like Jesus in our character all the time. You know, I, I think that is something that we can observe in this life, mm -hmm. but sometimes I think we miss the boat if you will, uh, by uh, saying, well, even my progress in Christ-like character is the reason I know I'm saved. You know, it, it can be supportive evidence of that fact. Uh, in uh, the book of Second uh, Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 5 and following, Peter talked about a pattern of growth in our walk with God, uh, where we add to our faith virtue, to virtue diligence, to diligence uh, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love, said, if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be fruitless uh, or unprofitable in your, uh, your walk with God. And so a door will be opened you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. You know, that is how we make, in a sense, our calling and election. Sure, in one sense, mm -hmm. we see growth in our walk with God. Yeah. Uh, but that's just one leg of the stool. It's kind of hard to sit on a one-legged stool, if mm -hmm. you will. Uh, you know, the other side of it is this. Uh, do we have, for instance, the inner witness of God's Holy Spirit bearing witness with ours that we are God's children? Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 says that that is a very important part of the Christian experience. But the uh, other aspect of it I think is really, really key is how we believe the promises of God. You know, because if I base my sense of assurance, you know, Dave, on you know, how I am perceiving God speaking to my heart at a particular time. Well, my emotions and my circumstances and loud people getting in my face or a hundred other things, right, can crowd out that still small voice, yes. right? There's a lot of you screaming memes out there yep. and one still small voice. Yep. Sometimes we don't hear that still small voice. 
yeah. for a host of other circumstances. Mm -hmm. As far as progressive growth in our walk with God, as Peter describes in Second Peter chapter one and verses five and following, well, you know, if your experience is anything like mine, oftentimes my journey towards Christ likeness is kind of this uh, three steps forward, two steps back sort of samba that you do in this world. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we have victories and sometimes we have defeats. And yeah. boy, if I am in a place where maybe I've done a spiritual face plant, uh, the Bible says that's not uncommon, even for the righteous. Again, uh, we are told in uh, Psalm 37 that the righteous man falls seven times mm -hmm. and rises again. Yeah. The wicked are destroyed in calamity. Uh, you know, th that means that uh, we're going to have our stumbles. You know, the, the key thing is getting back up. But if I'm staring at the spiritual carpet after a major spiritual face plan and I say, boy, you know, what does this say about my salvation? My assurance goes out the window. Yeah. But there's one thing that is common. There's one thing that is constant. The promises of God's word. Right. Uh, you know, again, Jesus said, he who hears my voice mm -hmm. and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. He will not enter to judgment, but is passed from death into life. Mm -hmm. Now, that's either true or it's false, but that's true all the time. Why? Uh, because, first of all, you and I, Dave, can't even hear God's voice unless he opens the door for that. The, the, the uh, things of God, the truth of God is foolishness to the natural man. He cannot know them, for they are spiritually discerned. Right. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Yep. So if I understand God's word at all, you know, if I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and that he did so for me personally, and that's where I need to put my faith and trust, uh, boy, that's a miracle that's taken place. Because prior to that, you, me, everybody in this world, the Bible says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, mm -hmm. not just a little off, yeah. not just a little misguided, not just in need of a little correction. We're dead. Yeah. Uh, and God has to make us alive again. Mm -hmm. So you know, when I go through those dark nights of the souls, uh, soul, and uh, I think we all do, uh, where you feel like you blew it, and boy, you know, I just no excuses and all this. If I look at me and my performance for God, if I look at me and my emotions even towards God, I'm going to be riding a roller coaster because sometimes I'm on and sometimes I'm off. But if I look at Jesus and I put my faith and my trust in him, then I'm going to have consistency in my walk with God. Uh, as far as uh, the statement, your faith has saved you, uh, you know, this is a reference back to the book of Luke chapter seven, where Jesus was invited uh, to eat at the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon, a woman in the city who was a notorious sinner, probably a prostitute. Mm -hmm. uh, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table, uh, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, that's just expensive stuff, yeah. and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the head of her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Uh, when the Pharisee saw this, he said, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. So there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, denarius was a day's wage, and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said, you've rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? He said, the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now notice what generated these actions. Jesus didn't say, you were saved because you kissed my feet. That would be salvation by works. You were saved because you wiped my feet with your hair. You were saved because you took this expensive alabaster jar of perfume and poured it on my feet. He didn't say any of that. Um, He said, your faith has saved you. Now notice this faith expressed itself in these kind of deeds, but the deeds were only legitimate in Jesus' eyes. Why? Because they were an expression of love. Faith generated love, which generated these good deeds. Not because someone said, hey, well, you know, now that you say that you're a Christian, you awful prostitute, uh, here's a list of things you ought to do, and well, wiping the hair and kissing the feet, and all, here's an alabaster jar. No, it wasn't, I mean, it was completely spontaneous. It was a completely luxurious, over-the-top expression of love that this woman had in this set of circumstances. And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of how it works. I think when we get into trouble sometimes, uh, you know, your mileage may vary, but uh, in my experience in ministry, I've seen this, is that we want to, in a sense, codify righteousness so that we can control the behavior of people so they don't embarrass us. Mm. You know, we want people to be good little Christians because the world's watching we don't want to discredit the gospel. I understand the motivation behind that. Mm. But uh, underneath that sometimes is, well, we want you to be good little Christians so that people will think well of our church mm. or well of us as, as, as people mm. that belong to a certain part of the church and so on. And, and so in a real way, it's kind of about us. Yeah. And it's not so much about God, right. you know, and having a relationship with him. So, you know, when we see this, you know, and you say, is this an argument for saying that we're saved? by faith. I think it's an illustration for sure. I think you can see that principle there, but it's funny how somebody that would take the more legalistic bent, uh, would say, uh, well, you know, she loved, uh, much. And, uh, the reason we know she loved much was because of all these things that she did. Mm. So, uh, where do we get our, uh, compass heading as far as understanding, uh, what the basis of our salvation is all about? Uh, I, I think, uh, maybe a great illustration of this uh, is uh, Simon Peter uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Uh, Jesus told them, the disciples, that all were going to be scattered. It's been prophesied, strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. Uh, and uh, Simon protested and said, uh, Lord, if I have to go and die with you, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Mm-hmm. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. Now notice, Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. Well, what was on the docket for Peter before that night was over? He was going to 
deny even knowing Jesus three times. The last time, cursing and swearing at a little servant girl, for instance, yeah. uh, about all of that. Now, I would tend to look at that, and if I took the, uh, well, you know, the proof of the puddings and the eating, and you've got to have good works, I would look at Peter and say, oh, you know, you know your, your, your assurance of salvation, you know, is evaporated because you denied Jesus based on what you did. Right. But notice something, Peter's faith didn't fail based on what Peter did. Peter's faith didn't fail because of what Jesus said. Hmm. If Jesus said your faith hasn't failed, you know, it might have those ups and downs. It might have those uh, egregious uh, spiritual face plants. But what happens to Peter at the end of all this? Well, after Jesus' resurrection, he gives Peter the opportunity to reaffirm his love, not once, not twice, but three times. Hmm. Apparently that left quite an impression on Peter. Hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, yeah, as far as that being a proof text for uh, the idea that we are saved uh, by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not a works lest any man should boast. Um, I think uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 kind of gives you real clarity on that. Right. If you have to hand wave and say, well, that doesn't really mean what it says, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're missing the boat. I had... Uh, a person tried to tell me that John 3.16 uh, doesn't mean that God so loved the world. It just means that he loved the elect. <laughs> Why not just say the elect? Then? Yeah, I'm like, well, what part of world don't you understand? <laughs> he went in this big hoo-ha about, well, the world's just the world's system, and you know, it's the world's way of philosophies and doing things. I said, well, that's really interesting. And John 21 and verse 25, John says that if everything Jesus did was written down, the world could not contain the books. Right. Same word. Hmm. So does that mean some philosophy is going to hold the books or some you know, right. way of attitude? Or way? Uh, Again, some people try to be too clever by half. If the plain sense of Scripture makes sense in Scripture, as Sean often reminds us, seek no seek other sense, sense lest you believe in nonsense. Yeah. So um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 lays it out. And then we are told in verse 10, for we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus created for good works, yeah. not by good works, yeah. but for good works, which God prepared beforehand and we should walk in them. Yeah. Uh, sometimes, uh, and I'm sure it's true in your life as well, Dave, you find yourself in a situation where the Lord's really using you and you don't even realize you're being used. Yeah. You know, it's just people observe you, catch you in the act of being a Christian mm -hmm. and you would have never thought it would have made that kind of uh, impression right. on people as you're just being who you are in Christ. Yeah. You know, is that a good work? Uh, do I, do I strive and strain to do these good no. works? No. Uh, again, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary mm -hmm. and heavy laden. What was he referring to there? Not just because they'd had a hard day of work, but because of the endless legalistic demands of the religiosity of his day. Come to you weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke's easy and my burden's light. Yeah. You know, I just think there's all kinds of people around there who, uh, uh, you know, want to make our yoke very, very heavy and, and our, our burden very arduous in the Christian life. And, you know, maybe with the best intentions in the world, but it's not really what the scripture says. Yeah. You know, our job is to trust in Jesus. And as we trust in him, as we walk with him, enjoy a relationship with him, he's gonna take care of the good works. Yeah. 
they're going to flow naturally out of out of our lives. Yeah. So, amen. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you, David, for that question. It's a great question and a very big, uh, you know, big debate, big discussion. So, I hope that helps you out with that. Thanks for being part of the show. I have a question from uh, Johnny. Good evening. Good evening to you as well. Uh, how do we deal with a family member? Uh, with an unrepentive heart, how do you extend grace, mercy? Is there a time of separation from that family member? So obviously it's a bit vague with the problem, but dealing with a family member who's unrepentant in some kind of sin, not wanting to change, how can you deal with that? Well, uh, you know, I think uh, when all else fails, read the instructions. Uh, the book of Galatians chapter 6, I think, gives us a step-by-step -step series of uh, instructions when a situation like this comes about, whether it's a family member or member of the family of God, someone in, in the fellowship. It, it says this, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Well, each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing himself alone and not another, for each shall bear his own load. You know, I, I love this because, you know, first of all, it says that we can be overtaken in trespasses. So when that happens, if you want to be a part of restoration there, you restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. In essence, what this is saying is, is that we uh, take a look at the situation, we take a look at the person, and we say to ourselves, okay, how would I want to be restored if the roles were reversed, yeah. if that person was coming to me, how would I want them to approach me in that set of circumstances? Yeah. If I can speak for myself, if I was overcome in a set of circumstances in, in an area of sin, well, first of all, it would mean a lot to me that a person would come to me and first of all, communicate that they cared about me. Hmm. Not that they're playing gotcha games or I'm making a list and checking it twice and I found out that you're naughty, not nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of that aha kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, that's not the way you restore someone. That's the way you get someone to kind of dig in their heels and say, forget about it. Yeah. You know, I, I think we need to pray first of all for our own heart to have that spirit of gentleness. Now, the word gentleness uh, is the idea of power under control. In other words, we're not just to be loosey goosey, blown with the wind, you know, okay, I just want you to like me uh, in this. Uh, no, we're to stand for what the Lord stands for, but we are to do it under control. We're not to be reactive in this situation. We're to respond in the situation. Well, how do you respond? Well, uh, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, uh, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go to him personally, just you and he, and uh, confront him with his sin. And if he hears you, you've won your brother. Uh, so that's the first step going to that person personally, privately, uh, with this idea of considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Mm -hmm. You know, that idea of saying, okay, how can I communicate this in a way that will really impact him in the same way that I'd want to be restored? Yeah. Now, if they don't listen, it sounds to me like the situation Johnny's talking about is someone <coughs> that has pretty much made up their mind that they're not gonna listen, they're gonna hold on to their sin. Yeah. Then you come to that person with two or more witnesses. Now, the witnesses not, are necessarily those who've actually seen the infraction. The, the witnesses are there to see the reaction of that particular person. 
In other words, they have to be there to see if this person, you know, is misunderstood. Uh, if there's two sides to this coin, again, uh, Book of Proverbs tells us that one side seems right until the other presents its case. Yeah. Uh, you you got to really hear the whole thing out. Uh, but if it just becomes apparent that this person's like, well, go peddle your papers. I'm doing this and I really don't care. Yeah. Then we are told you get to the third stage, and that is to tell it to the church. That is to get church leadership involved in a particular set of circumstances. And if they won't listen to church leadership, then at that point, uh, they become to you like a, a tax collector or, or a, a Gentile. Jesus using the, the parlance of his day of someone you just really don't want to have anything to do with. Now, you don't do this to this person to shame them, right? That's not the goal here. It's yeah. not to say, I'm right and you're wrong and you really drive me crazy and I hate the way you do things and I'm going to let you have it. Mm -hmm. And now God's with me so I can beat you over the head with the Bible. Uh, no, the idea behind that is restoration. How do I get this person back on their feet? How do I communicate to them that I care about them, but I care about them too much to let them continue down a road uh, where the bridge is out ahead? Yeah. Uh, you know, we communicate in that way. Say they completely blow that up. Say they completely say, forget about it. Well, uh, at that point, we commit them into the Lord's hands in a really unique way. Uh, in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talked about a situation going on in Corinth, which will kind of curl your hair when you understand it. Paul says it's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you, and such a immorality is not even named among the Gentiles. Hmm. That's right. going a ways. Yeah. Because the more you study what went on in those temples and things like that, yeah. yeah. Really, really bad. What was it that a man has his father's wife? Now, there's some people who say, well, it was a stepmom. Uh, no, it seems to be incest here. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, having already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Mm. Now, what does that mean? Well, it, basically what it means is to pray uh, in agreement that the Lord would take away his protecting hand from that person. Wow. That, uh, you know, if they want to behave like one of the evil one's kids, yeah. Uh, find out what it's like to have the evil one as your daddy for a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, in the book of Job, uh, Satan complained about how there was a hedge of thorns around Job and everything he had and that mm. he couldn't get at him and you take that away and then Job yeah. will curse you to your face. Well, there is that spiritual protection around us. Satan can't just have at us and do whatever he likes. It has to go through the hand of God. Mm. And apparently what Paul's talking about here is that taking away of that protection spiritually and when that happens, as we see in Job, it can manifest in a lot of ways. It can manifest financially, it can manifest relationally, it can even manifest physically in areas of health. Yeah. Uh, you can be attacked in all those different kinds of ways. Uh, in Job's case, it wasn't because of anything wrong he'd done, but in this case, it appears that because this person had been involved with this sin, had refused to repent of it, uh, this strong medicine, if you will, is being applied. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul goes out of his way to say to restore this guy 
uh, not add sorrow to his sorrow, for we're not uh, ignorant of Satan and his schemes. You know, in other words, the Corinthians were so appalled when Paul called them out on the carpet, pardon the uh, pun there, uh, that they, uh, they turned around and even though the guy repented, no, no, we don't have anything to do with you. Well, no, God says, restore that person. Uh, and, and that's what Galatians is all about. So I guess, Johnny, if it comes down to this person in your family who's, you know, uh, dug in and sin and not willing to change, you lovingly confront them, maybe bring a couple of members of your family uh, the next time around to talk seriously about it. If he blows you off, uh, talk to your leadership in the church. If this person is involved with the fellowship, get the leadership of the church involved with it. Uh, and if he blows those sort of things off, then and only then do you draw a line and say, we're not going to associate with you, mm. but it's not because we hate you. And it's not because we're here to shame you, but we're here to tell you this is very serious stuff. And we are going to pray that whatever it takes, mm. God's going to get your attention. Yeah. Wow. And then you leave it in the hands of God. Right. Uh, the Corinthians did. And apparently this guy came running back to Jesus with his tail between his legs, yep. so to speak. Yep. So it definitely works. It worked. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Now it might be different if this family member's a believer or an unbeliever, right? We would deal with that person differently and different expectations. Well, or? you know, again, First Corinthians chapter five, I think, tells us something really important. Uh, he, Paul says, "I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, and I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of this world, or the covenants, or extortioners, or idolaters, since you would have to go out of the world. But I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother." who's sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Right. So, you know, I'm not, we're not in the business of telling people outside of a relationship with God. You better start acting like a Christian. Right. They can't. They need yeah. salvation. They yeah. need a new life from God. Right. But God will give them that life if they want to turn to him. Right. So That's right. So yeah. That's important to keep in mind yeah. too. Great. Great question, Johnny. We're at the end of our show. Wow. Look at that. Time flies when you're having fun. It sure does. <laughs> Thank you. And it's uh, Friday today, right? So that's the end of the week for us. We'll be back on Monday. Again, you're welcome to come check us out here at Calvary Christian Fellowship uh, right near Prince and I-10. We have Sunday services here. If not, we'll see you back Monday for A Reason for Hope. God have bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.